Welcome back to the Auto Amateur Podcast. This is James. In this episode, I'm really excited to tell you that I'm joined by Lee Sibley, who's the editor of Total 911 magazine and the guy behind the YouTube channel called That 911 Guy. Lee also has a podcast of his own that's going to be launching soon called The Road to Redline, which he's doing with a couple of friends who share his enthusiasm for cars. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Lee about Total 911 magazine, how he got started in journalism, and some exciting things coming on the horizon, his perspectives in particular about what the future holds for the Porsche 911. Let's go check it out. Lee, thanks so much for joining me. Let me start off by saying just what a huge fan I am of Total 911 magazine. I read that every time it comes. I've been a subscriber for like four years. It helped me pick out my first 911 with your 911 buyer's guide that you released, which was like a big bumper special. I follow you on Instagram. I'm basically a little, you know, kind of starry-eyed right now. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. James, you're making me blush already. <laughs> no, look, um, as I, I said to you uh, off mic, if you like, I'm, I'm super proud to be on the podcast and uh, I've, I've enjoyed your YouTube videos. I think it's brilliant that you're now jumping across to podcasts because there's absolutely uh, lots of room for growth on podcasts and to broaden your horizons to lots of different people and Porsche enthusiasts from all around the globe. So that's great. And, and I am genuinely proud to be on here so thank you <laughs> well that's very kind too uh, so for my listeners that may not know about total 911 magazine and as a porsche enthusiast i don't know how you can't be aware of this magazine but just in case would you mind talking a little bit about the magazine where it started from or at least how you got started in, in this industry and in this career uh, tell us a little bit about yourself okay yes yeah, sound so yeah, well, the um, the magazine to begin with, so it's uh, well, it's 13 years now um, that the magazine has been going. I have been at the helm since 2012, um, but before that we had um, an editor in charge, Louise Woodhams. I think she did a stint of about nine months, and then prior to that it was Philip Raby, um, a chap based about an hour east from me on the south coast who, who founded Total 911. Um, and he oversaw the magazine, I think, for around about 82 issues, 83 issues, something like that. Um, Philip now is an established um, Porsche specialist dealing with um, uh, 911s and, and Caymans and Boxsters, really, is his kind of core, um, buying buying and selling in the trade. So he's he, he started T911, it was his baby. And uh, yeah, I've been involved since 2012. We are UK based, but we very much have a global audience, or we try to have, you know. Yeah. And um, I think with technology, it's easier for people all around the world to read our mag. So technology has definitely been a good thing for us. Um, there, there is kind of a lot of people think that print is dead or dying, but for us, it, um, digital integration has been a positive thing, you know. Right. And I still, what fascinates me is I get emails all the time from people in the States, particularly the States, saying, oh, I've just found your magazine. I've just come across your magazine. And I think, well, that's brilliant. There's still, you know, people out there that we can reach. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, T911, T as, uh, as the title suggests, it just focuses on the 911. Nothing else matters is the, is the tagline. And um, right from the very first 
prototype 901 models right through to the 992 uh, turbo which is obviously imminent we cover absolutely everything in between and that's quite a quite a spread of cars and and uh, niches within the niche you know yeah and uh yeah a lot of people say oh you must really struggle to fill a magazine that's just about 911s but i mean it's of course it's not you know the car's 57 years old you're catering from uh like 996 owners like myself who have got one car it's their first foray into 911 ownership and you go right the way through to uh, collectors that might have a garage or a barn of 30 highly collectible air-cooled models you know so it, it, it covers absolutely everything in between those two kind of gateposts, if you like. And um, that is absolutely fascinating. So um, my retort to the question every time is, no, it's, um, it's, it's not hard at all to fill the magazine. Um, I think filling any magazine is actually very easy. I think uh, making a good magazine is where you show your craft, you know? Right. So... Um, yeah, we cover everything from uh, reviews of the new cars to head-to-head -head tests, particularly. We like getting like a figure, say £100,000, and looking at two very different 911s. As you know, owning three of them, Porsche's very good at showing there's more than one ways to skin a cat. So they might both have 911 on the deck cleared, but they could be vastly different cars. Uh, but yeah, they could be available for similar money. And we're saying, well, if you've got this money to spend, which our readers do what's the better car in terms of thrills or is it investment or or what so and where the market changes and fluctuates it puts kind of new questions out there and new ideas for head-to-heads all the time so we're absolutely not short on content <laughs> um so yeah that's that's i think things from a uh, magazine perspective with total 911 that's really cool so how about your journey with Porsche itself? Like what got you into the brand? What got you interested in 911s? For me, I guess it was seeing Will Smith and Bad Boys and, and that black 964 was it or Turbo or whatever it was that he was driving. And I just thought, wow, that is so cool. And, and of course, I'd seen them on the roads, you know, here and there throughout the UK prior to that. And I just love the simplicity. I just, for me, that was like the perfect car. So how about you? You know, how, how did you first get into the brand? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when you... I, I hear many stories of people being interviewed and, and everybody's kind of got this story of when they were a kid and they, you know, they've seen a car and it's it become a poster for them and things like that. I mean, with me, I'm kind of honest about it. The car that was on my bedroom wall as a kid was a Ferrari F40. I mean, even to this day... I just, I cannot believe that someone from a blank piece of paper has come up with that car, you know, in the way it looks and the engine in it, the way it drives and everything. I, I think it's incredible. What I absolutely appreciate now as somebody who's worked um, in the Porsche industry for eight years is that Porsche did have an answer to the F40 that was um, just as fast in, back in 1987, but actually in the 959 had luxuries like leather seats and aircon and whatnot. So, um, it's yeah it's 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 been a journey that's for sure my my first first interaction if you like with a 911 was my dad's friend he owned a business at the time and he went out and he bought what was uh, a guards red 964 cabriolet oh wow beautiful and uh yeah he he said I'd, I'd love to take lee out in the car and it was kind of my first experience in a sports car and obviously it was it was this porsche and uh I mean, I was actually, my overriding memory of it was I was scared of this car because I was, uh, yeah, like I say, seven or eight. 
eight years old and um, I'm sitting in the front with my dad's friend Dane. We're zipping through these uh, narrow country lanes in the Essex countryside. Beautiful sunny day, the roof was down and I just remember hearing this like overpowering noise coming from the back of the car and obviously until that moment I'd always known an engine to be in the front of the car so it was like I feel like I was going to be like ripped out of the seat from under the seatbelt and kind of sucked over the back of the car and into into where this noise was coming <laughs> right. from you know so I was you know perplexed and yeah very quite possibly petrified of um of of the car to begin with and uh yeah so that was my first memory really it was probably being a bit scared of them and then yeah I I've always loved cars I studied multimedia journalism at uni and the course was very focused on working for news gathering services so and in fact a lot of people from my classes at uni they've gone on to work for likes of BBC Sky um, you know ITV um, if they're in newspapers yes so it's like the Financial Times Guardian etc and I um I never really wanted to do that. I wasn't too sure what I wanted to do, but I just, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling the idea of kind of sitting on a celebrity's door at 5am waiting for them to kind of get up and come out because there's been some scandal. You right, know, so I've right. interest in that sort of journalism. Um, so all my uni stuff, like without fail, even like my dissertation, uh, my dissertation in actual fact was on how young people are negatively portrayed in the media. And it stemmed from the whole kind of boy racer thing. And people think as you're a, because you are a male age 17 and you like cars, you therefore are a boy racer. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a, that's a story for another time. But all, all my uni stuff was kind of car oriented. So it was, I suppose... Um, by default, I fell into working for a multi-mark magazine. It was my first job out of uni. Um, the magazine was called Fast Car. I believe it's still going today. Um, but again, it was all about kind of modified cars and, you know, yeah, just not not driving a factory-spec car, putting it on the floor, big wheels that are probably more expensive than the car and, and that sort of thing. Um, but again, I was a car lover, so I, I appreciated all types of cars, you know? Right. And uh, obviously the, the 911 being one of them. And then, yeah, so the, the job at Total 911 came up and I saw it was in Bournemouth, which is on the south coast in the UK. That's uh, where I went to uni. I moved to Bristol to work at Fast Car. And I thought, well, look, it's an, it seems like an amazing title, um, absolutely incredible subject. And it, it's back in Bournemouth, you know, it's on the beach. And I mean, that is just, that's perfect for me. So I kind of applied with uh with intent for that and yeah I mean realistically I had no real right to apply for that because my role at fast car at the time was staff writer which essentially is a posh word for t-boy <laughs> right so I really was kind of bottom of the rung and and actually the guys I worked for there they they were brilliant it was a really kind of fun place to be in a fun team but I wanted to kick on and, and this job of editor came up and I applied for it and I went and had my interview. The interview was with a chap called Aaron Asadi, who was the publisher at the time. And I mean, yeah, it is, it is entirely his fault that I'm sitting here today because um, he I did the interview and he said, look, you know, I'll be honest with you, you're you're just too young for this job. I think I was 22 at the time. I was, yeah, 22. He said, you're, you're too young, you've no experience, but... Um, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a trial. So you come on board, 
six months um, we'll give you the, the title of deputy editor but you are editor in all but name and then there's there's two eventualities that will come from this you will either sink or swim and uh, I thought that was a fair deal you know I mean a, a, admittedly from their side I was uh, an attractive proposition because as a young person I was a lot cheaper than somebody else with bags of you know experience behind them and whatnot but I mean don't get me wrong it was still a gamble on, on their behalf I'm under no illusions there um, so yeah, they, they rolled the dice with me. Aaron took me on. I'm exceedingly grateful for that. And as I say, it's, it's completely down to him that I've been able to stay in this job. And, um, it was actually about three months later, three or four months later, they gave me the, the title of editor outright. And, um, that's it. I've, I've been in the job since I'm in my eighth year now. I absolutely adore the job. Um, not just for the cars and I, I have, I'm so lucky. I've done some absolutely incredible things through the job, but it's not so much the cars, as cliched as it is, there are some absolutely fantastic people in this industry. The whole thing is just driven by passion, whether you work in a dealership or whether you're a specialist or whether you are um, an enthusiast that reads the magazine and is happy to lend us your cars for tests, you know. Um, the the whole thing is is powered worldwide by incredible, incredible people. And, uh, and that's it, and it's just been one hell of a wave since since september 2012 really so yes very very lucky very lucky well let's start right there i i need to get in touch with that guy in the uk and send him a fruit basket or a thank you note or something because he made the right decision <laughs> well, do you know what? i just absolutely love this magazine uh, i i'm so grateful for for your kind words and i'm i'm always happy to hear feedback i say this to um to readers all the time because if if we're not told what sort of job we're doing with no real kind of hope to improve so right, right. always say always welcome feedback of any kind because ultimately um, and it did take me quite a while to realize this you know as you might think as an editor or the magazine is your baby well it's it's not you're just a babysitter um, especially when the magazine belongs to a publishing house you know it's it's somebody else's baby um, you're just babysitting and actually it's it's your baby as a reader so um, and, and this is why if we if we produce a magazine that nobody reads, well, then I'm going to be out of a job fairly quickly. So it's it's important that we deliver a magazine that's um, that you guys are proud to pick up and read and, and be a part of, you know. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I've actually gifted the magazine to a couple of friends here in the States. And next time I see my friends at Porsches and Pancakes, I'm going to be like, come on, guys, pull your fingers out, get onto this magazine, give it to your friends. Just get out, get reading it. <laughs> well, do you know what? In all seriousness, it's it's a great idea. And I've done the same, not for my magazine, but others, because um, a magazine subscription is, is a great present. It's genuinely the gift that keeps on giving, you know. Um, it's something that will kind of drop through the door every year, particularly if you've got like someone that's got a, a passion for something, but you might not speak to them all the time. Every time that magazine drops through the door, it'll be like, oh, OK, yeah, James bought me that spot on. I wonder how he is. They might be more inclined to pick up the phone, mightn't they? So um, it's, it is a good idea. But no, we, it, you know, we are in all seriousness. We're, we're super grateful. We've got a real passionate worldwide readership. And um, it really is you guys that make our magazine. So tell us about your own 911, Lee. You've got a 996, and it looks brand new. Over the past six months, and I've said I'm a, a follower of your YouTube channel, uh, That 911 Guy, you've done a whole bunch of stuff to it. You took a wrap off it. You've uh, given it a fresh coat of paint. You fixed up um, some interior issues. It's like it just came off the production line. It's like Marty McFly and Doc Brown have 
back to the future that you know <laughs> well it's funny because when you um when you look at the car at the moment it looks like a brand new car like you say but then you step inside and it very much looks and feels like a car i mean just turn the ignition on now it's 95,461 miles and I would say the interior very much shows that um, so yeah do you know what it's a fun project um, I bought the car just over a year ago paid £14,000 for it which on reflection was a little bit too much um, there were some problems I knew about and as, as you know all 996s have problems to some degree or another um, it's very, very hard to find a, a perfect one. Um, yeah, some things I knew about. Unfortunately, some things I didn't know about. But to be honest, yeah, I thought, well, look, similar to you, let's document this. Let's go on a journey. It's going to be a journey for me, so let's share it. And if other people can learn from it, then even better, you know. So, yes, it was um, it was a, a Zenith Blue 996 Carrera 2 um, manual, non-sunroof rear wheel drive limited slip diff so like real nice driver spec out the box factory short shift um but yes zenith blue but uh, unfortunately over the top of that was a wrap it was a um a, a white wrap that had been on i think for at least five years far too long really um so i bought the car yeah the wrap was absolutely hanging off and i always knew i'd, I'd, I'd take it off and yes, as you might have seen on one of the videos I did, um, the guys at Paul Accident Repair, who are a um, Porsche recommended body shop, they t they took the wrap off of the front and yeah, basically the, the Zenith blue paintwork underneath came with it. Oh, heartbreaking. So it was, and do you know what? It was fascinating. Um, I mean, yes, it was absolutely gut-wrenching um we'd kind of prepped at the time when i bought the car i whipped it straight round to pool accident and i said look you know this is what i've got myself into what we're we talking and and leon there was very honest he said you should absolutely prepare for the worst and hope for the best so maybe come back to me when you're kind of financially able to plunge yourself into a respray because that's what you've got to prepare for so uh, that's what I did. I think about six months later on, I've kind of gone back thinking, well, let's roll the dice and see what happens. And um, yeah, as the YouTube video showed, it really was a case of uh, worst fears confirmed because the, the, the paint underneath just came off with the car. Um, but as I say, once the, the, the kind of stomach churning had finished, there was a fascination to it because Leon, as a, as a kind of professional in his industry, was able to walk around the car and, and basically, even though he'd seen the car only once before, he was able to reveal the history of the car to me just through looking at it, you know. This, this, it's had paint here, um, I would say, probably by um, an unscrupulous uh, body shop. Um, this is why it's lifted. You've also, by the way, um, you've had paint on your um, near side rear arch, but that, I would guess, has been done at a proper place because the paint um, is good in its consistency. There's no orange peel. When we've taken the wrap off, the paint has stayed on the car. Um, you know, so it was, it was absolutely fascinating. He's revealing to me, you know, kind of what the sort of life this car had lived over the past 20 years. Um, and yes, it had paint, but as he said, so many cars have paint. It's so rare for a car to have original paint it's just been mothballed you know whether it's from car park dings or you know or anything so I wasn't put off by the fact that the car had had paint and actually it was more reassuring than anything to kind of know okay well this is what it's had and things have been done properly here and you know it's a straight car so 
it was pretty fascinating from that point of view. But yeah, the um, the the question was put to him, well, if it's, it needs a full respray instead of going Zenith Blue, which is nice, but there's plenty of other Zenith Blue 996s rolling around the planet. Um, why not do an Irish Green 996? Irish Green's my favourite Porsche colour. There's going to be, you know, pretty much zero other opportunity in my life to own an Irish Green 911, which to me is just absolutely the holy grail knockout. So, um, yeah, we kind of did... Um, uh, uh, it was not so much budget-friendly respray, but he, it was a, it was a cosmetic respray or cosmetic restoration. So we didn't take the engine out because it would have been so much more money to go kind of back to bare metal and all that sort of stuff. So you know, like the, the engine bay um, is uh, like matte black, so far as the eye can see, if you like. And again, like under under the frunk, it's matte black, but everywhere else in the door shuts and whatnot, it's all it's Irish green. So. Um, it was yeah, it was it was a compromise that I felt completely happy with. You know, I, I have no intention of selling this car anytime soon. So, um, as I say, it looks absolutely spot on from the outside. The the key for me now is to uh, replenish the rest of the car, interior wise. I've mentioned, but also the chassis. The chassis is twenty one years old in places. You know, so um, there'll be bits coming up on my YouTube channel this year looking at that. So. It's all part of the fun, right? You know? Yeah, and I saw one of your videos recently where you were pushing down on your hood and uh, it was creaking, so yeah, more fun and games. Yes, that's it. So I've since been reliably informed uh, that I need new lower arms, which, I mean, most 996s need new lower arms. It's kind of a perpetual uh, perpetual thing on those. But yeah, these um, the bushes, they're just absolutely gone on them. So um, I've I've... Uh, got a set of coilovers, um, KW V3s. They're still actually in the box behind me, even though I picked them up a week ago. Um, yeah, the lower seats are down and the box is there. This is the thing, the rear of the 911, it's a practical place. Not so much for a human, but for definitely for other things. So, um, yes, they, they will be going on the car. I've got new top mounts from Porsche. Um, I always recommend that you, for things like that with bushes, try and stick to factory spec because... That's had so much rigorous testing. There's far more R&D gone into that than, than in the main what aftermarket companies do. It comes down to the whole kind of buy cheap, buy twice thing. In my experience, other, other people may find differently. Um, but yeah, sorted the top mounts, which obviously would go with the, the new uh, coilovers. But then, yeah, it's going to be arms, um, anti-roll bars, uh, tie arms yeah everything is going to need to be replaced underneath there before long so that's kind of going to be phase two i think yeah i had very similar issues with my 996 thankfully it was just over the uh, i think it was the passenger door or over the driver's side but you know like you say fun and games and you live and learn of course you do yeah and, and actually um because your your car journey i found quite interesting where you've gone from 996 You've jumped to uh, 997, which is, yeah, it's almost a rite of passage, isn't it? Because it keeps a lot of the qualities of the 996, and, and, and there are many, despite what some people say. Um, but it just it improves on things in terms of um, build qualities, the main one for me. Um, some people subjectively say the 997 looks better as well, and it is obviously it's a newer car. Um, but then your, your leap to 991, yeah, I mean, that is, that's a, it's a big leap in terms of where the 911 has gone, isn't it? You know, it's um, 10 millimetre wider, uh, sorry, longer wheelbase. The car is bigger anyway. There's a lot more tech loaded into the car. Um, yeah, it must have been quite a, a big jump, really, from, from 997 to 991 particularly. 
Yeah, it was for sure. And as you've said, you know, the difference between the 996 and the 997 is is minor, you know, generally speaking, internally and externally. Um, even though, you know, the 997, I think style-wise, does look different. You know, they've, they've made facelifts and so on. But it's, you know, basically still the same kind of car, same driving experience, same shape and size, etc. But yeah, the jump from the 997 to 991 was very different in many ways. It's just like driving a completely different car. Um, and you sort of said it, you know, earlier, Porsche have got different ways of skinning a cat. And the 991 is, is a different way to do it again. Yeah. Different engine, different, you know, wheelbase and a lot of different things in that generation. Uh, and I've loved it so far, but I do miss my 997. And uh, it would be awesome if I could, you know, have both. But <laughs> that's not going to happen. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the the 991, when it was launched, obviously it had its fair share of stick um, in the kind of wider enthusiast circle. But then every new 911 era has that. I, I, I wasn't in the industry. In fact, I was only just born when the 964 came out. But, you know, I've heard stories of how much that 964 was lambasted at launch, you know, ABS. Um, it was an all-wheel drive variant power steering it's utter sacrilege i mean now a 964 for many is the absolute pinnacle of the air-cooled era so um you know i i personally think the 991 and i've done many 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 miles in 991s i think history will be very very kind to that car i really do and um i mean actually it was it was such a popular generation wasn't it there were um i found doing some research the other day i think it's 223,000. 911s on the planet are from the 991 generation which means one in five yeah one in five 911s is a 991 that's amazing so it's very yeah very popular and don't get me wrong you know a lot of that has to do with uh, there's economic factors in that wasn't it you know it was just after the um the recession and, and people were finding their feet again but you know ultimately it's a great car you know whether it's gen 1 or gen 2 with the turbo engines it's it's a really nice car and, and the 992 is a brilliant car um i feel it's so accomplished it's possibly a little bit too accomplished for the road um and yeah it's a little bit like a, a sofa on wheels to some extent it drives itself and uh, you know, I, I took, um, I was lucky to have a press car, 992C2S, a couple of weeks back, and I took it up to um, to Bista in the Midlands. They do a, a Sunday scramble every quarter. And, I mean, it was fun and whatnot, but I missed my 996. And uh, I think, yeah, 996, 997, and even 991, they, they're, they're very different to these kind of, I don't know, yeah, rolling computers in the 992 now, really, where they're, 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 they're good, they're very accomplished, but they it does come at a price, I think, and uh, we, we shall see. But I think the 991, it, it was a big change, but it was still inherently a 911, you know? Yeah, absolutely, which kind of leads on to my next question, which is where do you see the future of the 911 going? You know, if uh, what you read in the press is true, the, the, the first generation 992 somehow you know the transmission the engine bay or what have you is is sized already to take advantage of a hybrid engine so one might think that the second generation of 992 could be offered with a hybrid and then you know what about fully electric 911 with the taken being released and i've heard loads of great things about it surely an electric 911 is on the horizon at some point it's just you know super exciting to think about 
a little terrifying to you know people that love the combustion engine but i don't know it's got to be there right yeah yeah i mean it's uh, the the positive thing um for us all to remember is uh porsche actually is remaining committed to not only the internal combustion engine with its 911 but also the naturally aspirated internal combustion engine um, a recent example of that is obviously the uh, 718 gts line that's just been released with the naturally aspirated four liter flat six right, uh, right. as we know the other 718s today have been the uh, the turbocharged four bangers um, we have the uh, the speedster engine of course in the the 991 speedster which is taken from the gt3 yeah it's uh 500 horsepower now isn't it 520 horsepower i can't remember off the top of my head um and you know we we, we asked the guys at, at launch you know is 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 what's the deal with this engine and uh andreas proininger quite openly said we wouldn't put that much r&d into an engine that would only be used in one car you know with uh, for just under 2000 speedsters worldwide so we can expect to see that going forward most likely for 992 gt3 um so actually porsche is committed to the internal combustion engine uh, so that's that's a kind of a real key take-home message for us to remember the the electric question i mean it's an inevitability isn't it only this week the uk government here announced that they've brought forward the ban on uh, the sale of hybrids um, petrol and diesel cars from 2040 to 2035 so as much as manufacturers want to create and especially porsche which is really kind of enthusiast led wants to create cars that it knows its customer likes the hand is being forced by politics um which is, is kind of fair play. Um, so, yes, an electric 911, it has to be an inevitability because if Porsche doesn't want to make an electric 911, well, then the 911 stops in the UK at least in 15 years' time, you know? It's as simple as that. So, yes, uh, it's, it's coming for sure and it's something we should embrace. Um, feedback generally from journalists, I've not... Uh, driven a Taycan yet but from what I'm hearing the Taycan is is most like the 911 out of anything else in the Porsche range which is really encouraging really encouraging I still can't get away from the fact it weighs two and a half tons um, but you know in in, in terms of character um, and kind of this inherent Porsche DNA the 911 is central to everything Porsche does so um, it, that's an encouraging early sign for electric cars in the more medium term, yes, absolutely. I believe um, August Ackliner, who uh, was is the outgoing, is retired now. So he's the he's the former head of the 911 production line. He was known as Mister 911. He confirmed to us when the 992 was launched that the uh, the 992 Gen 2, which will come along in three years' time, uh, there will be a hybrid option. And even now on the Gen 1 cars, there is um, there's space on the PDK transmission for an electric motor so it you know it obviously opens up to uh, retrofitting and future proofing the 992 if you like but yes that's it's it's been confirmed by mr 911 himself august Ackliner, that the 992 will be offered with a with a hybrid option so as i say it's coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah so exciting yeah yeah this is it and you know i think Regardless, you know, there are things that change on the 911 all the time. I mean, the, the real sticking point for me with the 992, for example, is um, 
the clocks. You know, the, the 911, as, as long as the 911's been around, it's always had those those five dials staring back at the driver, yeah, you know, yeah. with the taco in the middle because with uh with the reason the tacos in the middle is because with porsche it's not how fast you're going it's how you get there you know um it's always been it's always been porsche five dials in your 911 the 992 we keep the taco in the middle that's great either side of it the screens have well the the clocks have gone in place of these digital screens and you know it's, it's another kind of bit of 911 dna 911 soul that's been eradicated um in similar zest to, like I say, 30 years ago with the 964, and guys are saying, well, hang on a minute, ABS, what's this all about? And an all-wheel drive, it's not a 911. Right, right. But with the 992, you push on, and believe me, you really have to push on in that car to get to get the feedback you require. But when you do that, it does still feel like a 911. So then you say, well, hang on, if you take away the ultimate kind of 911 DNA, which is that flat six hanging out the back of the car, if you take that away, is it a 911? Well, I think going forward, how we will define a 911 is not necessarily how it looks or how it's powered, but really how it drives. And so long as it drives with the spirit of the 911 we've always known, well, then it's got to be a 911, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I appreciate that's flimsy, but, uh, you know, we, we live in a world where Porsche has just put turbo on the back of uh, of a car that's fully electric in the Taycan <laughs> Turbo and Turbo S, so um, you know, like I say, that's that's the world we're living in. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I was thinking something, you know, sort of along those lines. So since you know the second generation of 991, the engines have been turbocharged. So surely all of the 911s are turbos now. So why have a a turbo spec? I mean, is that a silly question? <laughs> It's a really good question, James. And to be honest, it's it's a question that has been entirely relevant since the launch of the Gen Two Nine Nine One. When, as you know, all the all the Carreras went turbocharged. So if if the cars are turbo, then what's the point in a Nine Eleven turbo? But again, you know there is a difference. And as I said at the top of our chat, Porsche shows with its Nine Eleven that there's more than one ways to skin a cat, and it's absolutely expert in executing that and the bona fide 911 turbo, regardless of the fact that it's um, forced induction like the Carreras, it stands for huge, you know, um, real kind of uh, big stance on the road, um, absolutely insatiable power, the ultimate in in luxury and refinement and comfort. So, you know, in in terms of that, well, yes, in in that case, there is room for that in in the 911 lineup, isn't there? So. You know, the name might be tedious, but the concept behind it isn't. And, and therefore, the, the, the 911 Turbo absolutely does remain relevant. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, you've sold me. <laughs> so, Lee, tell us about what else you've got coming up. I mean, you're a busy guy, right? You are the editor of this awesome magazine, Total 911. You run a YouTube channel, and, and I can appreciate just how much time that takes up. What else you got going on? Uh, so, yes, uh, there's two friends of mine, Joe and Andy. I believe you know Andy via Instagram. Uh, I think he's at, at 993andy or at, um, at the, the other way around. <laughs> um, and then, and yeah, then 993andy. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah, and then my friend Joe, Joe Williams as well. He does a little bit of writing for T911. Um, yeah, the three of us, we're just Porsche guys, and we've decided we'd like to do a podcast. And um, 
I think kind of similar to your thesis, really, where we're so passionate about these cars. It's just another outlet for us to kind of vent our thoughts and feelings. And, uh, you know, we're meeting up at the moment once a week, having a chat in front of some microphones. We're having an absolute riot. And um, our thoughts are, well, look, if somebody listens to this at the end of it, then what a bonus, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're having good fun with that. So the, the podcast, which is uh, is going to be called Road to Redline, and, and we'll focus on, like, the stories behind behind the cars and, and the people that drive them, you know, because everybody's got a story, story to tell. So we'll be doing that. That'll be launching very shortly, which will be good fun. Um, YouTube, I'll continue to do that. The, the whole kind of thing for YouTube, and um, a shameless plug, if you don't mind, <laughs> is uh, the channel is called That 911 Guy. Uh, does what it says on the tin, really. It just, just looks at the 911. But it's again, it's just another outlet for me to explore these brilliant cars and um, and keeps me out of the pub more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that because there's, there's definitely a, a want for it. So I'll keep doing it. And... Um, you know, yeah, magazine-wise, you know, it's 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 a good place to be. I think magazines generally, yes, it, it can be tough times. But again, as I said earlier on, with Teen Eleven, we just don't feel it because it's such a passionate audience. And I mean, in 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 some ways, you know, a lot of us lead this five-screen lifestyle. I think it's called, isn't it? Of you know, laptops and televisions and smartphones, right? And, yeah, and everything else thrown in between. And um, actually, it's it's quite refreshing to kind of come home or sit on an aeroplane or wherever you are in the world and just kind of absorb a magazine and you know having that tangible product in your hands and don't get me wrong some people read the the digital edition and 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 that's great and actually our subscription we do offer like a dual uh subscription to both the digital and the paper copy but um you know much like vinyls come back over here in the uk i I quite like the good old-fashioned magazine you know and um We'll we'll keep doing that. We'll keep uh, keep to our production values of high quality where possible, and just kind of keep sharing this nine eleven story. Really, there's uh, there's fifty years of Le Mans this year. Well, obviously the first Le Mans victory for Porsche back in nineteen seventy. That's fifty years ago this year. Um, it's twenty twenty five years of uh, the nine nine three RS and the nine nine three Turbo. So we'll be looking at those in a bit more detail as well. And, of course, there's new models this year for, for the 992, so we'll explore that more. We've got the Turbo coming up shortly. The um, the, the Targa is fairly imminent as well, I'm led to believe. So, yes, we've lots to explore, so it's it's good times. And also, again, this is kind of really talking from a UK perspective, last year the market was really tough and people sitting on their hands not wanting to spend any money until the political situation was was sorted out and uh with the b word which will, will not be mentioned in this podcast just like it's not in our magazine <laughs> right. but um things things are moving here again now and there's a real there's a real buzz and um air of positivity around the place and and i think that's great and i think more people will get back into these cars and i mean get into driving them again and um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun well that's that's awesome and you know i i fully believe that print media is not dying a death. I mean, certainly not for niches like this, where you have a huge base of enthusiasts that are willing to invest, frankly, in material like Total 911 magazine. I mean, for me, and especially in the world of like on-demand services, everything's at the touch of your fingertips, there's something I really love about looking forward 
to the day that the next issue is going to be released and it's going to turn up on my doorstep. And I'll make sure that I've got a couple of hours to myself, you know, lock myself away from the from the wife and the kids, get a cup of coffee or whatever, and just read it cover to cover. Or I'll make sure I bring it with me on one of my business trips. And I won't even take it out of the wrapper until I'm on the plane and I'm flying, you know, three or four hours to LA or whatever. And I get to spend the whole time reading it. I mean, it's a real treat and it is such a ah, good that's magazine. Excellent. That, that is excellent. And like I said, I do appreciate your, your kind words there, James. I mean, for us... There's no point us trying to compete with the internet because we can't, you know, we, we hit shelves every four weeks. We can never match that immediacy that the internet brings in, like the aftermath of a car launch or something. But what we hope T911 does give is um, a detailed perspective on the car, um, insider information that you might not be able to find elsewhere, and more than anything, um, an informed and reliable source uh, and, and knowledge of information. It's written by passionate people that also know their stuff you know um i mean for, for the internet you know you and i tomorrow i'll use this analogy many times you know we could come up with a web, our own website dedicated to um i don't know uh, truck tires looking at uh, across the car park at a truck here um you know i mean we know nothing about you know uh, say logistical firms or anything like that truck tires and yet we could do a website on it, give our opinion and people consume that. And it's up to them to believe whether it's, you know, valid or not what we're saying. Whereas a magazine is different. It's written by experts. It's properly vetted. Um, it goes through all sorts of checks before it hits shelves. So it's, it's a, it's a bona fide product and, and source of knowledge and information, you know? Um, and, and I think there's a, there's, there's a place for that. And I think there will be a place for that sort of media for, for a long time. Well, thanks so much, Lee. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real treat. I really, really appreciate it. Likewise, James. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on and uh, best of luck with the podcast and also the YouTube channel going on. I shall keep watching your 991 journey with interest. <laughs> that's, that's great. I appreciate it. Excellent. All right. Take care. Thank you. That was Lee Sibley, Total 9-11 magazine editor and the YouTuber behind That 9-11 Guys channel. What a top guy. What a really nice guy. That was so much fun. Well, thanks guys for tuning in. Love to know what you think about our conversation. Certainly the future of the Porsche 911. Um, more content coming soon. More podcasts coming soon. Stay tuned. Speak soon. Bye.